You're listening to What the History, a podcast where two nerds talk about some awesome, crazy, random stuff you probably don't remember learning about, but you're going to now. Hey, nerds. Welcome back to another episode of What the History. This week, Sarah and I are talking to you about something that we decided was lighthearted compared to the history of childbirth and... I feel like we do this every time and in no way, shape, or form is this actually like, lighthearted. Because when I was editing the episode, it was like, yeah, let's do something fun next week. And then we get off the call. We're like, let's do Jack the Ripper. Um, so that's what we're talking about this we- week. We are going to do... <laughs> we looked up conspiracy <laughs> theories and somehow got here. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, We're going to do Jack the Ripper in like a fun way I guess like really we just everybody knows the story so you know we'll go through some of the background investigation but honestly I had more fun reading about like the crazy suspects that they have like kind of come up with over the last hundred something years so that's kind of where we have um, fun so yeah we're gonna talk about you know the basics the murder hopefully you've heard of it question mark I don't really know people who haven't but then again there might be normal people who are like yeah I don't know anything about that so who knows I mean, I feel like people have at least heard of it, even if they don't know any, you know? Right. I mean, I'm also crazy. I've also been on like four Jack the Ripper tours, like every time I'm in London. Yeah. So. Okay. (laughs) Same. I've only been to London once, but literally we got there on my birthday and my mom was like, what do you want to do tonight? And I was like, I want to go on a Jack the Ripper tour. Yes. Yes. I took students on. That's where we're at. Um. What did we do? A couple of years ago, we nice. went on like a student tour and we we start the trip in London. It's like a World War II theme, but they're like, you could do a bunch of different tours. And there was something really nice. And then there was Jack the Ripper. And I was like, uh, we're going to do Jack the Ripper, guys. And the kids were like, you're so weird. Yeah, but they actually you. really like and it was pouring rain and yeah. it was like so creepy. It was awesome. Oh, so lots of good vibes there. Love that. So, yeah, let's uh, let's take it away with yes. some background and fun stuff on Jack the Ripper. Did you almost say background and psych? No, because that was what my head did. Was background. My and head psych did. My head did crime. after I ended it, and then I actually started to say to myself in my head, "Is this fun? Like, is this fun? I don't know." <laughs> so I don't even know if we should call this. Are you guys having fun? Are you having fun with this? We haven't even talked about it yet, but hopefully, you're so excited to talk about this really fucking awful collection of murders yeah i mean like the first half is not gonna be fun i was gonna do a nice warning like obviously murder but also like i'm gonna talk about some gross things that were done to bodies yeah and also like Um, women like we're talking about marginalized women who yeah despite the fact that they're white and automatically in a place of privilege like they were prostitutes and so like yeah they were not doing so great at the time exactly um yeah yeah there's a couple mentions of sexual assault um but also just like very gross murder yeah and so. also like let me clarify too sex work is totally cool i just meant at the time that this existed sex well, work i wasn't have a cool. note in there that like i'm gonna say prostitutes because a at the time it wasn't how we think of it now and b these were women living in like severe poverty who yes. had no choice but to be prostitutes they were not like i'm so empowered by doing this right they were like had no other options yes. for the most part yeah so just to clarify um, we are we are using language that is is very historical in that sense yes and i was actually gonna so like my first point i was like this is obviously a very abridged version there are people whose entire life is researching this case yeah i have like three pages on it let's not (laughs) like this is not gonna go into every detail don't come at us Um, (laughs) right there are 
books. And actually, I've read a book that is great called The Five by Hallie Rubenfold uh, or Rubenholt. And it's actually just about the five canonical victims that we'll talk about and like their lives and their stories. And it doesn't really talk about the murderer. Right. That's cool. So it like centers Um, victims as opposed to. Yeah. Yeah. It's about the women themselves. Um, And that book is good and probably like better at this than me. But that's my my disclaimer so um so just to be clear we suck and we hope you like this <laughs> this is just a very short version right to get to the conspiracy stuff this exactly. is like so you know what we're talking about when we talk about that right so in terms of background i'm just going to talk about the east end of london um it's kind of like a character in itself in this mm-hmm. so in in the mid 1800s the east end experiences like a huge influx of mostly irish immigrants but also a number of jewish refugees and the population soars and conditions are pretty shitty in terms of work conditions housing conditions they were already bad it was a poorer area and then there's just like this huge influx of people who are coming there with nothing who are not really valued by society and the area becomes like extremely impoverished there's not a lot of work to go around there's a lot of homeless people many of the people who do have homes live in like boarding houses Mm. that are you know night to night very cheap rates yeah um there's really atrocious conditions oh my god yeah it's like not a good place to live um alcoholism super high violence robbery are all like completely commonplace and sort of like we mentioned a lot of women end up turning to prostitution Mm -hmm. um also the like worst statistic i saw was 55 percent of children who lived in the east end died before the age of five oh wow this time yeah like it was just not where you wanted to live and so by october of 1888 which is about the time period we're going to be talking about it was estimated that the population was about 88,000 of this east end area it's not very large like casey and i on jack the ripper tours have walked you can walk the whole thing yeah very easily literally they take you to Um, like spot they're like and here is where mary's body was found and you're like yes and it's like and it's like a high rise now and they're like if you look in that window at the shower yes yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's weird it is weird um but also i could not imagine living in that i'd be like cool this is terrifying it's haunted yeah great right um, but it's estimated that at that time there were 62 brothels and about 1,200 prostitutes in that population of 88,000. And I don't know the proportion of like prostitutes today, but I think it's not that high. <laughs> um, and then, so there's obviously a lot of economic problems. There's also a lot of social issues and tensions. So there's a lot of different demonstrations that lead to the police being a very heavy presence. Um, You have a lot of anti-Semitism coming from the influx of Jewish refugee, well, not coming from them, but because of that, Mm -hmm. it kind of gets taken out on them, right? Crime, racism, social issues. And so basically everyone who lived anywhere else was like Whitechapel slash East End, the East End, that was kind of like the name for it, Yeah, was just like a terrible place, a den of immortality is what it said. And so that's already the case. But then in the autumn of 1888, um, we have a series of vicious and grotesque murderers attributed to someone named Jack the Ripper. Mm. And so obviously that does not help the reputation and it gets this area a lot of media attention. So I'm going to go through the murders quickly. Again, there's like a ton of information on all of these. Um, I'm just going to kind of give us an idea of how the murders looked, how they played out. And then there's this idea of the canonical five. So there are five women who are considered like the official victims of Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. Um 
But there's a number of other murders, both before and after those five, that some people thought might be related, some people thought might not. Um, they're not considered official, but they lead into parts of the story. So I'm going to touch a little bit on some of those. I think it's so interesting. Ones. Yeah, like using the word canonical, I think is such yeah. an interesting like, no, no, these murders are canon. And like as like a book person. Literally. <laughs> yes. I'm like, this is canon. Yeah, like. Yeah, literally. These are the five canon ones. And then there's some fanon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the, there's two con- non-canonical attacks that happen first. The first one is a woman named Emma Elizabeth Smith. I started in my notes saying when they were a prostitute and then I realized that was stupid because literally every single one is. Mm-hmm. Like that's one of the defining features of the victims is they were in some way engaged in sex work. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to say that every time unless it's relevant. hmm But Emma Elizabeth Smith is walking home in the middle of the night. Um, She's attacked and she's sexually assaulted. She survives the attack. She goes home to her boarding house and there's like a woman there who's a, they called it a deputy keeper. I think she's just kind of the little leader of the house. Mm -hmm. She takes her to the hospital where they discover the sexual assault and it causes an infection that kills her within a few days. Jesus. Yeah. It's immediately assumed this is connected to gangs. There's a number of gangs in the area who are connected to the pimps that work, you know, with these prostitutes, right? And so it's not uncommon for gangs to commit violence against the prostitutes as a way of getting back at the pimps. Mm. And she had said there was three people who attacked her. So it kind of corroborates that. Right. And obviously at the time, they just are like, okay, well, this was an attack. It's not the most uncommon thing for someone to be mugged or attacked or assaulted or anything like that. So they're just like, well, this is a sad thing where this lady died. But then not long after, another woman named Martha Tabram is murdered and she's found kind of outside in a courtyard repeatedly stabbed. This doesn't really fit the M.O., of the other murders, but it's only a few weeks before the first canonical murder. She is a prostitute who's found murdered with a knife. So some people think this might be the start or like the kind of quote practice victim. Yeah. I was like, I was going to say, I feel like I, again, watch a lot of criminal minds and it's like the first victim is always like the test, like the first time this person might have killed in that capacity. So it's going to look a little different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And especially almost all of the murders happen outside, or at least they're found outside. So kind of a how do I do this in public, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But Martha is not considered canonical. Our first our first of the five victims is Marianne Nichols. So she's killed on August 31st, and her body's found in a back street of Whitechapel mm-hmm. by a cart driver. So this person finds her at like 3.45 a.m. Her throat has been slit twice. There's a big jagged wound in her abdomen and then a number of other like small shallow cuts throughout her torso. Mm. Initially, they're like, well, this is probably related to those previous murders, especially the Martha Tabram one. Right. Um, And again, everyone's like, well, she's a prostitute. It's probably gang related. Um, Either a gang trying to get something against her pimp or her pimp themselves. Like, Again, that's scary, but not that uncommon for the area. Well, they like treat it like, well, what do you expect kind of thing? Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. And like, because all these women are prostitutes, they're not taken that seriously as victims or people assume it was a pimp or a a dispute with a client or something like that. Right. Some of them had families. Some of them didn't. Mm -hmm. So it. They're just kind of like, okay, well, that's scary, but 
not the craziest thing we've ever heard. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, a, a newspaper is actually the first to say that they don't think so, that they think there's some kind of like deranged killer in the area. Right. Um, and cops look into this, but they ultimately say that like it's too different from those other two murders that we talked about. Right. It, a different type of knife seemed to be used. There wasn't a lot of similarities. So they kind of write off this idea of a connected murder from those first two. And then about a week later, our next victim is found. So that's Annie Chapman, um, another body discovered by like a passerby on a back street. And Annie had left her home at 2 a.m. to go collect money from a client to pay her rent. Why this was happening at 2 a.m., I do not know. Not that I'm victim blaming. Just okay. Um, but so it's an interesting time to go collect money from anything (laughs) it's written very much like it's mundane right like she left her home to go get her money at 2 a.m to pay rent and i'm like was her rent due at three right like as if it was like 2 p.m and it's like oh the bank's open until three yeah Yeah. (laughs) right but okay so everyone knew she left her body's found again her throat had been slit left to right um, she was disemboweled and her intestines had been removed and like laid back over her shoulders. Ugh. Um, Ugh. And part of her uterus was missing. Mm-hmm. So this is the first like, it's kind of an escalation, right? Like even the first canonical victim, her abdomen was cut, but nothing was removed. Right. And so this is kind of the first time we hear the idea that the murderer had medical knowledge and like a surgical skill mm-hmm. that was used. But actually, I didn't realize this till I was researching Only some people really thought that. So like the medical examiner said that. And then some other medical professionals and the cops were like, no, that's not really true. Like anyone could have done this. Right. And also I was reading how like obviously crime scenes and things like that weren't preserved in the same way they are now. And some people are like, no, like she was cut well because there was an autopsy and that's part of what you're seeing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they kind of get the idea out there, but it's not well established not everyone thinks it's true right they actually um quickly arrest someone after this they kind of say okay these two murders are obviously connected they arrest a guy named john pizer who went by leather apron oh um, oh my god was- i hate that so much oh my god <laughs> sorry right oh it's fine. i'm thinking of Leatherface, he- but also i just Ugh. yeah leather yeah. apron and he was like a butcher of some sort right mm-hmm. so he had this skill and he was known to like basically have a vendetta against local prostitutes and he would kind of terrorize them mm. and so that made sense but he had a really strong alibi and was released quickly so they're kind of out of their first suspect uh and rumors start to spread you know throughout surrounding areas people are hearing about this it's kind of a like media frenzy that hadn't happened before for anything like this right yeah and so widespread panic kind of starts where people are like okay there's a serial killer there's even a couple instances where mobs attack police stations that they think are holding suspects Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that are just rumors and there's also some belief that there's like a specifically anti-jewish killer going around i'm not sure like the the women don't seem to have been jewish <laughs> no i think one of them is like notoriously christian like she's a protestant yeah. and she like frequents church and stuff like that so yeah like yeah. there's nothing i could find that would imply that they were you know directly related right but again there's a lot of like tensions in the area mm-hmm. etc So those are our first two. We've kind of established, hey, there's a serial killer. People are realizing something's going on and starting to get worried about it. They probably stop leaving their house at 2 a.m. to pay rent and that (laughs) sort of thing. Um, A few weeks later, we have um, a double murder or what they end up calling the double event. 
So first, the body of a woman named Elizabeth Stride is found, again, outside, kind of right inside an open gate. Mm. She's lying in a pool of blood. Her throat was cut, again, left to right. That's, like, one of the big markers of Jack the Ripper, ultimately. What's crazy is, like, you can tell that. Like, not that I, you know, would be able to look at a slit throat for any amount of time. But, like, to be like, oh, well, he started here. And then went this way. I'd be like, I just see a gaping fucking wound where there shouldn't be one. So good, thanks. Yeah. Um, With Elizabeth Stride, that's actually the only wound on her body is the the slit throat. And when she's found, she had only been dead like maybe a couple of minutes. She was still really warm. It was clear she had not been sitting there for any period of time. Wow. Yeah. So a lot of the theory here is that the murderer was disturbed Mm -hmm. before he could like finish. Right. Right. Someone was walking up and so he managed to kill her and slit her throat but not to get to all his other stuff that he liked to do well especially if you add in the fact that this is like the double event right like so he's gonna right. go exactly. do this again and in the same night and then possibly take more time like he wanted to like he wouldn't have committed exactly. a double murder if if he'd had more if time he'd been able to do what, what he, he wanted to yeah also we're gonna continue saying he um we'll talk about theories and one of them does involve a woman instead of a man Mm -hmm. but let's be real it was a man it was for Um, sure a fucking man but i like the i like the female idea like theory theory is like fun it's fun but yeah it was it was a man um (laughs) but yeah like you said about a 12 minute walk away another body is found later that night so this is a woman named Catherine eddowes and she again had been killed within like the last 10 minutes she had not been dead long But in this case, in addition to the slit throat, her face and her abdomen are heavily mutilated. Her intestines are thrown over her shoulder, like we saw before. Which, the worst, every time I um, read or say that, I just sing the the song about ears. Can you throw them over your shoulder like a continental soldier? Holy shit. Which is not not okay, but it is what I think. Do they wobble to and fro? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but like, do your bowels hang low? Um... (laughs) Oh my god, that's horrible. I know, it's not good. But every time I see thrown over your shoulder, that's what I think. I, you know what's so funny is I was thinking, I'm like, why the fuck do I keep like responding to oh, thrown over their shoulder? And I couldn't yeah. think of what it was. And I think that's what it was. Like, I you just nailed it. it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. What is the origin of that uh, song? Do your... I don't know. Ears. Please don't let it be something terrible. It probably is. Um, I'm sure it is. Song origin. Because why would your ears hang low? Okay, so Wikipedia says... Oh, shit. It's probably... It's racist. I fucking knew it. Hold on. George Washington Dixon's Zip Coon, penned in 1838. Mm. Okay, so vulgar lyrics include do your balls hang low. (laughs) Sorry. Yep, heard that. (laughs) Um... So the sol- that's the soldier's version in World War One, And okay. it doesn't say anything about, like, it says a common belief is that the lyrics refer to the long ears of a hound, but it can, but it appears considerably more likely that the song originated as the vulgar deer balls hang low. And then it was sanitized so that children could sing it in schools. <laughs> okay. So maybe it's not, um, maybe it's not like, inherently racist. racist. It's just, yeah. Except for zip coon that, that concerns me. That's what I was mm, thinking well, too. Well, so I did click on I did just click on Zip Coon, which is apparently like some other song sung to the same tune as Turkey in the Straw, but Turkey in the Straw um has a bad situation where I've never like, heard of Turkey of tr- in the Straw. 
Really? So it's like the, no, I've never heard of it. It's just like a kid's song, but there's a bunch of stuff, stuff sung to the tune of it, right? It's one of those things where it's like, okay, a really popular melody. And one of the like ones I know involves like, and word loves a watermelon to the same tune. Oh, Um, wow. Okay. Okay. That was not good. Yeah. Um, But that's, that's, that's not a direct connection to do your ears hang low. No, I don't see that as being direct. We're going to let it stay as okay until someone tells us otherwise. (laughs) Yes. I think we're going to let it tentatively be fine. I feel like it's only when we're recording episodes or when I'm researching that I end up from Jack the Ripper to ice cream truck song racist question marks. (laughs) So I just don't know how we get here, but it's really beautiful. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) Uh, It's because Catherine Eddowes intestines are over her shoulder. That's where we left off. That's so sad. That's also really fucking sad. Oh, yeah. Not good. So gross. She is also missing a kidney and her uterus. So again, the medical That's going to kind of come into play a little bit too, actually. Yes. Like when I talk about some of my suspects, that will have some One of meaning mine comes to it. in there too. Yep. Um, again, the medical examiner is like, this person clearly has some position of knowledge of the organs and kind of how that works. But not everyone agrees enough that that's like a solid thing, right? But again, they're like, there's some sort of precision happening here. One thing with her is they find bloody clothes like half a mile away. And where they find her bloody clothes, there is a message written on the wall with like an anti-Jewish sentiment. But there was also a lot of graffiti in the area. And again, there's no indication she was Jewish. Right. So they kind of take it into consideration as like, well, the same person could have written this because they were here, but it's not that close. By this point, there's been a double murder. So we're up to four of the the like sure victims. Mm-hmm. People are starting to get pissed that the investigations aren't really going anywhere, despite right. a number of leads. And you're going to talk about the investigations, so I don't really go into them. Mm-hmm. But they're questioning people. They're bringing people in. Everybody is getting written off or released. Um, there's a number of people who are going to the police saying, well, I saw that victim with a man, you know, an hour before, or I saw this person at the store and things they think are helpful. And so they're just kind of like, I think you should have figured this out by now. Um, yeah. Right around those, (laughs) um, the double murder, a news agency in the area receives a letter in which someone claims to be the murderer and calls themselves Jack the Ripper. So that's kind of where we get the name from. Right is allegedly the murderer we don't know for sure they sent it but we'll say they did um and there's a couple other letters that come in um and then there are also some clearly like imposter letters but this is where they get the term jack the ripper and it picks up there's another incident this same week as the the quote double event which the term double event comes from the letters oh Um, like it was written in the jack the ripper letters yes okay yeah so he refers to it as like this week's double event They find a random torso that week, but can't formally link it. But again, people are kind of anything violent (laughs) or involving mutilation. What a fucking sentence. They find a torso later that week, but there's no confirmation (laughs) that it has any relevance. Literally, they like find a random woman's torso and they're like, well, I don't know. This guy probably has a torso. But they never, like, identify the the person at all. Right. So then we have our last of these five five women. So on November 9th, so there's actually kind of a gap here. The others were kind of every few weeks. Um, there's, like, a month between the last murder and this one. Mm-hmm. And this is Mary Jane Kelly. And what's interesting about her is she's found murdered in the room where she lives. Mm-hmm. So everyone else was found on the street somewhere. Yeah. Um, she's found at the room in her boarding house. This is a boarding house where other victims had lived at certain points. 
Um, which is not that crazy, right? There's only so many. A lot of the prostitutes are living in the same area, these, like, very cheap houses. Right, like, it's all they can afford, so it's not, like, too weird, yeah. Yeah, and, like, you know, certain ones kind of allowed women to live there who were not considered, like, moral or whatever the fuck. Which is um, also fucking crazy to me. Like, Yeah, stupid, but it was, like, a place they could safely, well, I guess not that safely. But <laughs> like, on your, like... Like, on your apartment application, it's, like, your moral code. <laughs> like, would you sell right. your body in order to survive? <laughs> like, what a fucking question. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, like, can you pay rent? Then cool. Right. Uh, <laughs> How you obtain that money? Okay. Like, uh, hopefully you're just not killing yeah. people, but, like, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but so she's found in her room, and she's, like, by far the most mutilated, like, worst of all the victims, mm-hmm. which kind of makes sense. It's the only one done in private. Right. So there's more time available is basically the theory there. You're in a room so you can do like everything you want. So she has the slashed throat left to right. Her abdomen has been opened up and all of her organs are spread around the room. Oh, my God. That's her breasts are cut off. Her face is really mutilated. Um, Her thighs are cut down to the bone and some of the muscles have been removed. Um, Yo, I don't know how I forgot about how horrifying this one was, but I remember this now that I'm thinking back to my tour. Oh, yeah. The picture's not great. There's a picture. It's not great. There's a picture? Oh, wait. I've seen this picture. The guy passed it out on the tour, but I think I blocked it out because it's so horrifying. Yeah, it is. It's kind of, like, helpful that it's in black and white, right? Because certain things, like, the quality isn't that great. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, you can only make out some of it. Right. Um, But it's still not great. Like, you can specifically tell that her face is extremely mutilated. It's not good. Unlike the other victims, she's undressed. And her clothes are folded neatly on the chair for the most part. Mm. Though a couple of clothing items are burnt in her fireplace. Which it seems to be that was for lighting. That's really, like, the only light in there at the time. And so they seem to have used it for that. But oh, like the ripper this... burned the clothes for light. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, like, I think he took some of the clothes and was like, well, this is kindling, right? So I can see what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. It seems from from that fact that either she undressed herself and got into bed, which is one of the theories that kind of corroborates that this was a client, right? Somebody she knew who was there, right. where she would be comfortable getting into bed. Or some people believe she was, like, passed out drunk and so just didn't wake up when somebody came into the room. Um, And obviously there's not like toxicology they can do at this point to figure that out. Right. But, you know, the police conclude this was no doubt committed by the same hand. So that's the fifth of these victims. They all span from August to November. So just a couple month period in 1988. And then there's a few other, like I said, (laughs) non-canonical. Fuck. I typed 1988 like every time too. I never know if I should correct you, but I was like, I just want to clarify to everybody out there. It was no 1888. I just can't say that for some reason. 88. It's cool. Um, There's three other ones that are considered like the non canonical that happen after. Um, Mm -hmm. One of them is in December, so only about a month later. And this is a woman named Rose Milet. She's found strangled. Um, Mm. Nothing else has happened to her. And so there is evidence they have that before actually like doing all the stuff to their body, the Ripper would strangle somebody to death, right? Or at least strangle them enough to knock them out. Okay. So that was like um, his potential method of like knocking them out or yeah. disabling them. Right. That was the theory is that he would like strangle them so they were knocked out, 
then slit their throat, which is what would kill them, Mm -hmm. and then perform all this other stuff on the body. Okay. So she's found strangled. Again, in theory, that could happen. And if you're in public and get disturbed, right, you might just leave. Right. But it's actually believed. And I don't know how they can't tell this. Oh, God. (laughs) But the, the police's theory here is that she accidentally hung herself in her dress because she was really drunk. I I don't know what that means or why, but that is what they say is that she was drunk and she accidentally like choked herself to death with her dress. Unclear. Was she w- was she found with her dress around her neck? That's what it did not say that. It just said so, she was like a strangled body. Like I have been drunk many a time and have gone to undress myself and I would imagine that if right. I was so drunk right. that and I could And she's couldn't... out in like a courtyard. Right. So like mm. Right, like she's not at home. That sounds like shoddy police work, in my opinion. They're like, well, yeah. it's possible. Yeah, I'm not, okay, I buddy. think they were just like, yeah, they're like, I don't know, she's dead. It was probably this guy. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Ridiculous. But either way. So then there's nothing until July of the next year, at which time Alice McKenzie is found. And she's found what looks at first very much like a ripper killing. So her throat is slit the same way. She has a number of wounds on her abdomen, cuts Mm -hmm. on her abdomen, but none of them are as deep and a different knife was clearly used. Um, And so this is sort of widely believed to have been like an imitation or an imposter killing, right? Someone who had heard the basics of Jack the Ripper. Yeah, they heard the basics, right? Well, their throats are slit and their abdomens are cut, but not all the other stuff. And then there's one more um, in 1891. So this is like literally years later. Um, And this woman named Frances Cole is found actually alive for a minute. But she she seems to have been thrown to the ground and then had her throat slit with no other wounds. Oh, wow. And so this is years. This is years later. It's the throat slit is the connection. Mm -hmm. But that's really all they have. There's nothing else to really corroborate that. Right. And from there, they don't include anybody else as a potential victim. So you have your five main ones, about five potentially related ones that maybe one or two of them are related, but probably not. And I feel like it's hard Um, to say that because they're so far apart. Like things that we know now about, especially, especially serial killers, is like they might span over the course of years. But like typically victims show up like every few weeks or months. Yeah, to have Mm -hmm. a, like, three-year gap is kind of weird. Right, yeah. Especially because there's not, like, there was another area where the same thing was happening, right? Like, now he's in Paris, and it's the same thing. Right. So I think that doesn't necessarily help when the the main victims are all within weeks of each other, a month at the longest. So, yeah. So that's kind of the basic rundown of the murders. Like I said, there's a ton more. Like, people hardcore study this. Mm -hmm. But... That's kind of the basics of what the MO is and how they end up determining this is one person and like who they think it might be and kind of what's happening. Obviously, everyone's terrified at the time and it's a a very big deal in this area. So I will let you talk about the investigation that they do. Yeah. So I actually learned something new when it comes to this investigation, which I feel like I should have heard before. Maybe I didn't. I just don't remember. But it turns out that whatever information we still have from the actual investigation is just a fraction of what there once was. Because unfortunately, the vast majority of the City of London police files relating to this investigation in the Whitechapel murders were completely destroyed in the Blitz during World War II. And it's one of those things that you never think of that like literally like 
Yeah. A huge percentage of London was completely fucked during like the bombings um, by the German Air Force. Oh, man. And so you don't really think about that. But yeah, I know. But this is my library of Alexandria. (laughs) Yeah. No, seriously. It's like it's exact. And the fact that there is enough detail about the information. I'm sorry about the investigation that did survive, like can still give us a pretty detailed view of like whatever the investigation contained and also like just the practices of investigative procedures in the Victorian era, because like a lot of those procedures are really similar to what was done, like what is done today. So, you know, back then, you know, you had a large team of policemen who conducted the house to house inquiries throughout Whitechapel asking, have you heard anything, seen anything, you know, where were you at this time? Um, Because a lot of the uh, murders happened in the after I'm sorry in the evening or in the early morning hours like a lot of people were typically home and there weren't the same number of people out on the street um, there was still forensic material collected and examined which I found to be so interesting because yeah there was really nothing to be done with it like I don't even know when right. fingerprints started being used so like fingerprints were no- used for a while I don't think right so like just the thought of like okay well you know we should probably collect this as like a piece of evidence and whatever else like anything forensic related just seems crazy to me that it would be like considered okay like let's keep it and honestly like yeah they didn't keep it super secure they didn't like you know handle right. it properly they didn't keep it like we like, would today right and that's going to kind of come into play a little bit too there were suspects that were identified traced questioned examined more closely or totally eliminated from the case although there were never any like legitimate arrests that were made in terms of like keeping them for longer than just a a few days at max yeah so throughout the course of the entire investigation there were over 2,000 people interviewed upwards of 300 people who were investigated as being involved and about 80 people who were actually detained in some capacity for the murders which is like a lot of fucking people and we're going to kind of talk a little bit about like why that was the case like why white chapel mm-hmm. specifically why east end specifically would make something like that possible So after the murders of Stride and Eddowes, the commissioner of the city police, who was named James Frazier, and I don't know if anyone's an Outlander fan, but oh man, I totally went right to Jamie Frazier. And then I realized that I was just off on this like (laughs) Sam Hewen fucking rampage and I could talk about how hot he is for like literally days. But this is not a fangirl podcast. Um, So (laughs) the city, the commissioner of the city police uh, offered a 500 pound reward for the arrest of the Ripper. So from what I gathered it was basically like any information that can lead to like a legitimate arrest of the ripper himself you'll be rewarded 500 pounds so Which that kind of gets for like people... how many people were... yeah yeah and and if you think about like the location of east end if you think about like mm-hmm. the amount of money that 500 pounds was at the time um if yeah. you think about just the the types of people who are living there and i don't mean that in any way other than you do have gang activity you have right. um Women who have no option, people without money. Yeah, you have like high death rates for children, you know, so like that really could have gone a long way. So there is a lot of like gathered interest, especially after that 500 pound reward is kind of like announced. Um, The investigation itself also kind of progresses throughout the course of the murders. And that's actually part of the criticism for like how this whole thing was handled. So it like kind of changes hands a little bit. 
I just checked in inflation. 500 pounds in 1888 is like 66,000 pounds today. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that could still like, think about how, how long you could survive off of that. Yeah. Especially when like the boarding houses were maybe like a pound a month or something crazy. So we're talking like pretty good money. Um, Yeah. So it was because of that, there, there was like a big public interest and the initial investigation was conducted by the Metropolitan Police Whitechapel Division Criminal Investigation Department, which is a whole Catchy. fucking <laughs> mouthful. So because it took place in Whitechapel, which was part of East End, they were basically the ones that were like heading up the investigation. And that was like manned by Detective Inspector Edmund Reed. After Nichols is murdered, three detective inspectors named Frederick Aberline, Henry Moore, and Walter Andrews are sent over from the central office at Scotland Yard in like central London to mm-hmm. basically like oversee it. Then once Eddowes is murdered, the city of London police get involved under detective inspector James McWilliam because the murder itself actually takes place within the city limits of London. So it's, it's like just outside almost of East End, which is why they're kind of like it's a little bit more their jurisdiction, which so now we have a lot of hands in the pot of basically like trying to investigate this thing. And while it's really good, obviously, sometimes to have a lot of people involved, the more people you have involved, the more chaotic it will absolutely become. Yeah. I so remember that's kind of I'm saying like part of why they think it was never solved is that the jurisdiction was too confusing and like, yeah siloed basically yeah and then the other issue that i was reading about too was that a lot of these departments didn't want to work with the other departments because they wanted to be the ones to like solve the fucking crime because like yeah it was so unsolvable and so like you know popular in the media and people had heard about it throughout all of london not just in east end newspapers but throughout the entire city and then throughout the UK itself. So like that made the overall direction of the investigation somewhat all over the fucking place. Um, the other problem was that the newly appointed head of the criminal investigation department, Robert Anderson, was on leave in Switzerland between September 7th and October 6th. And in that month that he was gone, Chapman, Stride and Eddowes had all been killed, which prompted yep. the Metropolitan Police Commissioner, Sir Charles Warren, to basically appoint another chief inspector Donald Swanson, who I literally lost my shit over that name because I'm pretty sure that <laughs> Ron Swanson has a brother named Don Swanson. <laughs> yes, definitely. I'm just picturing Ron Swanson as a, a chief inspector for Scotland Yard mm-hmm. coordinating this investigation. So, like I said, there's a I lot of it. higher up people who are basically trying to, like, fix things or, you know, make this problem go away or just like Mm -hmm. be the hero that solves the case so on top of the investigation we have some serious extra white people shit going on in which we see the london's east end form the Whitechapel vigilance committee in september of 1888 and so basically they're exactly what you would think they are they're a group of volunteer citizens in the area who every night patrol uh, the streets looking for suspicious characters. Part so of it was because watch. of their dissatisfaction. Right, it's neighborhood watch. It's exactly what it is. Okay. Um, so now the problem with this is obviously pretty fucking clear. You have people who have no idea what they're doing, who are like patrolling. Um, right. Part part of the reason was because they felt that the police were just like shitting all over the investigation, which Fair. in a lot of cases they probably were. But I also think that 
and it's easy for us to shit on it now because it's like, well, how could you not blah, blah, blah. But like, I can't imagine how complex this investigation must have been when you don't have any of the things that you have in today's world. Like, the other problem with this this area. I I guarantee that one of the people on this committee was the murderer. (laughs) Who was just out there? Well, yeah, we're patrolling. We're patrolling. Right. Yeah. Yes. And so the issue is that you have these like inexperienced people doing this. The area itself, um, and I'll get into this just a touch more later, but like you have a lot of people coming in and out. Like you said, you had how many people? 22,000 people living in this area? 88,000. 88,000. Yeah. Right. Okay. So 88,000 people, almost 100,000 people living in this very small square mileage, many of which were involved in either criminal activity or were working as merchant, like with merchant ships. So they were constantly Mm -hmm. in and out. You have a lot of immigrants coming in. I'm pretty sure this is actually right around the Irish potato famine, like a few years, like a couple decades after that. So you still have an influx of people. So like there's just a lot of chaos. So just the fact that anything might have been done is kind of astounding to me. But Besides that, um, there were members of this fucking, you know, neighborhood watch that were concerned that the murders. <laughs> sorry, this is so ironic. I don't know. The murders were affecting businesses in the area. And I kind of like okay. chuckled when I read that. because I was like, y'all know that like you weren't really thriving to begin with. Right. Like it wasn't yeah. necessarily like you guys were Wall like Street. really doing well. And then all of a sudden. <laughs> right. Like if that's just happening in the middle of Wall Street or like wherever you make a shit ton of money like shops and stuff i could see you being concerned but it like wasn't like that yeah so the committee actually petitioned the government to raise a reward for information leading to the arrest of the killer um which they hadn't done yet and then eventually the commissioner is going to come in and do that as well and they offered their own reward of 50 pounds for information leading to his capture so they hired private detectives to question witnesses independently so like in a weird way they did kind of try to legitimately help i think yeah um, i feel like but most again of it is just a bunch of well. like i think so too and i think like you know again you do have this group of people who are i would imagine in the east end it didn't really say but perhaps people who were maybe like a little bit upper more upper crust or like people who gen- genuinely wanted to see east end ex- like expand and grow in its wealth and status right. so like to just have this this really gruesome set of murders happening like i could see you being like let's try to you know stop this yeah if not for the victims for the image of being right like i might not care about the prostitutes or whatever but i care about right like the city so the other thing that kind of comes up whenever we talk about this case is like the legitimate suspects criminal profiling that was taking place and like the good kind of criminal profiling i guess because there's obviously shitty kinds too but in this case it was kind of like the first example of using what you were seeing at the crime scene to determine what the killer might be like so because of the manner of mutilations like you said the most suspected groups of people were surgeons and physicians as well as butchers and slaughterers so in one of the surviving notes from mm-hmm. the case, Major Henry Smith, who was the acting commissioner of the city police, writes that the alibis of local butchers and slaughterers were investigated pretty heavily and they were later eliminated from the investigation. So, again, you're talking about people who have, like, obvious expertise in, like, the use of knives and, like, blood and awful shit like that. 
In another report from Inspector Swanson to the Home Office, Swanson confirms that 76 different butchers and slaughterers were visited and that the investigation encompassed all their employees for the previous six months, but nothing turned up as plausible. So they supposedly did their work in interviewing and examining, but like nothing was actually coming up with it. Obviously, at the time, there were dozens of theories that were believed by the public, especially with the high involvement of them in the newspapers. There was a lot of like media attention to these cases. And so some of the contemporary figures, including Queen Victoria, thought that the pattern of the murders indicated that the murderer was some type of butcher or cattle drover that was on one of the cattle boats that regularly traveled between London and mainland Europe. So Whitechapel was really close to the London docks. And the boats usually docked on Thursday or Friday and departed on Saturday or Sunday, which was indicative of the occurrences of the different murders. And then on okay. top of that, it also made sense that like it was happening like every few weeks. And typically mm-hmm. it was like, OK, what they would do is they would look at, you know, the dates that the docks or that the boats landed in the docks and kind of like examine did anything kind of coincide with a single boat's movement. So like right. boat a comes in and every time boat a comes in there's a murder but unfortunately Mm -hmm. nothing was actually like ruled in i guess as being plausible in terms of that type of investigation but that kind of boat relationship is going to come back in for two of my my people which is interesting yeah uh so at the end of october the robert anderson who I was one of the commissioners. There's so many fucking commissioners. He was the one who was like on vacation for a while. Yes, correct. Yep, yep, yep. So he asked the police surgeon Thomas Bond to give his opinion on the extent of the murder surgical skill and knowledge. And he basically was like looking at these, you know, pictures, autopsy, what you're seeing in the bodies. Do you feel like there is a chance that this guy has a lot of surgical skill? And Mm -hmm. this is actually one of the earliest surviving offender profiles ever formed so basically like one of the first criminal minds kind of things which i thought was really cool yeah and this is actually also one of the first noted serial killers which is also Mm -hmm. why it's such a huge part of like just true crime history and yeah just like this it's this like very weird like introduction of people to a serial killer in like amongst them if that makes sense yeah it's like one of the first known serial killers and it's unsolved so between those it's like and people were actively following it right like people were legitimately like holy shit there was another murder you know like so as it was going Mm -hmm. on people heard about it as opposed to like it being like low-key and then people being like holy shit there's 47 people buried in that person's backyard like after the fact so it was very much like a lot more personal Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm So Bond's assessment was based on his own examination of the most extensively mutilated victim, which I believe was, was that Annie? Marianne Kelly. Marianne, Marianne. Um, And all of the postmortem notes from the four previous canonical murders. So he basically only looked at Mary Ann. Mm -hmm. There were two Marianne's, right? Um, There's Marianne and I feel like something similar. Yeah. Yeah, there was Marianne Nichols and Mary... Oh, Mary Jane Kelly. Sorry. Mary Jane. Okay. So Mary yeah. Jane Kelly um, was the one that Bond looked at. And that was what you yeah. said was like the most gruesome out of all of the five. Yeah. And that makes sense because she was the last. So if he looked at that one and then like went back and looked at the other four. Exactly. Yeah. So he looked at the notes and then he looked at, you know, uh, Mary... Oh, my God. Jane. Mary I don't Jane. know why I keep panicking with these people's names. These four <laughs> women. Um, so in his findings, he writes, quote... All five murders, no doubt, were committed by the same hand. 
In the first four, the throats appear to have been cut from left to right. In the last case, owing to the extensive mutilation, it is impossible to say in what direction the fatal cut was made. But art arterial art arterial blood, so artery blood, <laughs> was found on the wall in splashes close to where the woman's head must have been lying. All the circumstances surrounding the murders lead me to form the opinion that the woman the but that the women must have been lying down when murdered, and in every case the throat was first cut. Quote. So he was actually really opposed to the idea that the murderer had any kind of specific like scientific or anatomical knowledge mm-hmm. or even the techno like the technical knowledge of a butcher or horse slaughterer because in his opinion he thought the killer was someone he said a man of solitary habits subject to quote periodical attacks of homicidal and erotic mania quote with the character of the mutilations possibly indicating something called satiriasis which is hypersexuality today so i didn't really know anything about hypersexuality i figured it was something like what is that called just like like like, nymphomania like like, yes like so like a sex like a sex addict exactly so I, i did like a mini a mini dive into that so basically it is extremely frequent or increases in libido and it was previously known as nymphomania and also set satiriasis so it's like a controversial psychiatric practice to like diagnose somebody with this because people don't really know like psychiatrists don't really know if it should be included as a clinical diagnosis but it's like Mm -hmm. it could also be like a primary condition or a symptom of another medical disease like bipolar disorder um, and it's usually associated with things like obsessive compulsive disorder or an addiction or disorder of impulsivity so my wildly and grossly oversimplified belief is that yes there's probably a chance that this attack on specifically sexualized women despite not actually violating them sexually there probably That's is what some I was sense gonna of say. Like, there, there was like no evidence of sexual abuse which is interesting right but there was there was sexual like the breast being cut off or the uterus being taken mm-hmm. but not like sexual assault right exactly and and the women who were targeted specifically were sex workers so like true the fact that there's that sort of you know, like, again, I watch so much of this criminal mind shit. Like, I could absolutely see there being some type of connection between, like, having a hatred and disdain for, you know, sex workers being mm-hmm. and, and kind of making them be the victims. And actually, ironically enough, <laughs> so Bond also stated in his findings that, quote, the homicidal impulse may have developed from a revengeful or brooding condition of the mind or that religious mania may have been the original disease. But I do not think either hypothesis is likely, quote. So, like, he basically is saying, like, there is a chance that this guy's killing people because he feels like it's a form of revenge or he hates women, he hates sex workers or whatever. But he's kind of saying, well, we don't actually really necessarily know, but it does seem that that could be possible. So even though there's no clear evidence the perpetrator engaged in sexual activity, some psychologists then and then those who look at the case today suppose that the penetration of the victims with a knife and, quote, leaving them on display in sexually degrading positions with the wounds exposed, quote, indicates that the perpetrator did derive sexual pleasure from the attack. So, like, I'm pretty sure in a couple cases, the women were like laid out and their like legs were spread wide open in these mm-hmm. very vulnerable and very sexual positions. And yeah. so um other psychologists like, you know, agree with this and then some challenge this because it's there's again no actual information to support anything in terms of what this person was thinking when they did this. 
The contemporary accounts are full of contradictions. They're now viewed as fairly unreliable, which makes it basically impossible to identify the murderer both then and now. So the case is pretty much never going to be solved because of the fact that there's no surviving surviving forensic evidence. I don't know why that sentence was so hard to say. It's fine. Um, Any attempts to conduct DNA analysis on the surviving letters is totally inconclusive because the materials that survived were handled too many times by too many people to provide any type of significant or meaningful result. But really what it comes down to is there's a lot of speculation about who the murderer could be and the pattern and location of the killings was and still is probably the quote unquote best thing that we can go off of. And the concentration of the killings around weekends and public holidays and within a short distance of each other has indicated to a lot of people that the Ripper was in some type of regular employment, lived locally, had access to these things, whether he was, you know, working on the docks or not, there was some type of familiarity with that location. Um, And the range of potential killers in their investigation went from educated upper class men like doctors or aristocrats to artists. Um, There was a member of the royal family who was like, excuse me, rumored, (laughs) you're good, was rumored to be involved. Um, But authorities then and now have never really been able to agree on any of them enough to be able to go after them. Uh, It says that today the number of named suspects reaches over 100. And despite continued interest in the case, hence this 2021 podcast talking about it, the Ripper's identity is totally unknown. Uh, The term Ripperology was coined to describe the study and analysis of the Ripper cases. And this is my perfect segue into our next segment, which is looking at the different Jack the Ripper conspiracy theories. I just almost broke my printer. I'm so sorry. That probably came out really loud. Fine. (laughs) We're thriving today. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, yes. So we are going to go through, I think, six different theories on Jack the Ripper, but not like the Mm -hmm. good ones. Right. Like there are real people. Yeah. Who could very likely have been Jack the Ripper. Like, I think Aaron Kaminsky is the big one. Um, That was boring. We decided. And so we found, like, conspiracy theories or lesser known ones that, like, don't make sense or were interesting. So I'm going to start out and talk about the Jill the Ripper theory, which is basically the idea that Jack the Ripper was actually a woman. So a few years ago, this kind of started when some Australian scientists attempted to do what you literally just said is impossible and take the stamps and the seals from the Jack the Ripper letters and DNA profile them. And they did this. And yeah, the results came back inconclusive, but they did indicate that it was more likely a woman's DNA than a man's. Again, this is not particularly reliable, but if you want to say that there's DNA on these stamps, that is what it showed. And so there's this theory that Jack the Ripper, rather than being a doctor or a butcher, was a midwife who also would have acted as an abortionist at the time. And so they would have the, the medical knowledge, right? They would have access to particularly these women who, you know, likely would become pregnant at some point or have, you know, STDs or things like that that would require this care. And because a few of them had their uterus removed, there's kind of a connection that gets made there. So, yeah, um, there was a rumor that at least one of the victims, so Mary Jane Kelly, that she was pregnant at the time. Um, This is not corroborated. It's not like in an autopsy report or anything. But there was a rumor kind of around town. And again, it's always possible that the others were or that they were seeing this midwife because it's not like they could really prevent unwanted pregnancy very well. And they were having likely unprotected sex most of the time. Um, right. Yeah. One of the the things that kind of gets tied into this is there's a 
conflicting witness account of that Kelly murder who insists that about five hours after she would have died, she saw Mary Jane Kelly like out and about in her exact outfit. And so some people think that the female murderer took her clothes, right? And wore her clothes out and about to try and like create an appearance. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Um, And so then there's the kind of like, why would a, a woman who was a midwife and abortionist do this? Um, uh, again, there's always, you could just like hate sex workers or have some kind of issue. One of the theories is that there, there was a midwife who would like, had been turned in by somebody, likely a sex worker. And when she got out of jail for performing abortion, she was like seeking revenge on the demographic. There's literally nothing to corroborate this. (laughs) It's just like a hypothesis. Right. Um, it's like wild speculation. (laughs) Yeah. One of the other things I read, and it was just like a one-off line, but it was interesting is that women at the time when they were giving birth, they couldn't afford any of the like drugs used for pain relief at the time, like the good Mm -hmm. old chloroform and stuff. And there was like (laughs) rumors that some of the midwives could use pressure points on the neck to knock you unconscious, um, during labor or during an abortion. And so that kind of goes with the strangulation theory right basically it's that like the only women who would have had these skills at the time would be a midwife or abortionist who could probably be easily tied to a very impoverished prostitute is basically what they're saying um there is one name that gets thrown around it's weird because so there's a woman named mary percy there's no evidence she was a midwife or like had any of this knowledge but in 1890 so the year after this a little over a year after the last canonical murder, she was convicted of murdering her lover's wife and child pretty brutally. Oh, wow. um, and so they were like stabbed and mutilated and she was hung for her crimes. But I guess there was just not a lot of like violently murderous women in the area that they knew of. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. some people were like, well, maybe it was Mary Percy, but that's really all it's. If it was a woman, this is kind of like who the profile would be, but there's no good evidence that it was a woman. Um, and they just right. say Jill the Ripper is kind of the theory that like, you know, maybe the pen name was a cover up and it was a female. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it would have definitely been easier to blame a man. Yeah, for sure. It was, but it was also definitely a man. So, yeah. it. I, I agree. I like the Jill the Ripper theory, but I feel like it's definitely a man for sure. Yeah. Especially like if when it was you a look woman, at the list that's a good... of names. Yeah. yeah. And also, women really do know how to get away with murder. So, like, to be fair. For sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, okay, right. so I'm going to talk for a second about this man named Carl Feigenbaum. Uh, okay. So, Carl, I'm going to call him Carl for now, was a German merchant, seaman, <laughs> who <laughs> I literally had to write LOL as I was typing that. Um. And Carl was actually arrested in New York City in 1894 for cutting the throat of a woman named Juliana Hoffman. So I say Carl because his name actually wasn't Carl. He went by a string of different aliases and authorities believed that his real name was actually like Anton Lon. But the newspapers at the time stuck to his alias rather than his possible real name. So I'm going to continue on by calling him Carl Anton because I don't know. They don't even know if Anton was actually his name. So they don't really know what this guy's real name was, which I think is actually pretty fucking badass. But yeah, I'm into that. So 
why would this German criminal be arrested and charged, sorry, who was arrested and charged be considered as like a potential ripper suspect? Well, there's two hypotheses that kind of stem from like kind of the same core story. So this one guy named Trevor Marriott, who was a retired English detective, formulated his theory that um, Carl Anton was this actual Jack the Ripper uh, based on his potential proximity to the murders. So Carl Anton worked for the Nord... Sorry, I literally practiced this. (laughs) Nord Deutsche Line, which was a a German company that owned ships. I don't (laughs) know. Like really struggling okay. to speak to No, I'm gonna tell you a really embarrassing story real quick. <laughs> okay, good. So, Help me feel better because I'm really okay. suffering. So the German word for German is Deutsche, right? Yes, yes. Um for some reason that like completely slipped my mind. And so at work I have this project that has to do with different languages, right? Like there's a list of words translated. Mm-hmm. And so there's a code for each language, right? So it starts with like Czech is C Z and whatever got it and i was i was having this like big back and forth email chain with our technical people about it and i was confused because i i was just using an example so i kept talking about czech and dutch and czech and dutch and he kept coming back and talking about german and i was like why i'm so con-? like it was confusing the conversation because we were talking about different languages right and then we were on a call and they were like sarah you do know do know deutsche is german and not dutch right and i was like <laughs> you know Shit. i think i did <laughs> But for some reason, what I saw, because the code is just like D-E. Yeah. For some reason, I just decided it was Dutch and like had this very confusing like 20 email exchange where we weren't saying the same thing because I forgot that Deutsch, Deutsche meant German. And yeah. I was just trying to talk about the Dutch conversions. And you're like, no, dude, like I'm talking Dutch. Why are you talking about German? Like it's. Yeah. It's literally totally the whole time fair. I'm like. Why are you using a different example than my example? And then they had to be like, Sarah, you know that that's uh, German, right? And I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. I do I know that. I definitely haven't told but customers. But does he know that? that? Have... <laughs> I definitely haven't told customers on the phone that we have Dutch. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's totally fine. I, I mean, it's like a normal, I would say, thing, especially for Americans when we only speak English. So, like, our access yeah. to language right. is Well, a just... lot of the other languages are similar enough, right? Like... Yeah. Francais, France, or whatever. And that one, it just didn't start with a G, and that really got me. That's like airports. Like, I feel like I'm always, like, like Newark Airport is EWR. Yeah. And, like, that always throws me off, even though I've literally yep. only traveled out of Newark Airport pretty much my entire life. I just right. always get confused. So, you're fine. It but happens. That's, anyway. I love that they were like, Sarah, please know. Yeah, they were like, we know you're smarter than that. And I was <laughs> like, I'm not. You're like, I really am not. I'm so sorry. Um, yep. So, yeah, so Carl Anton worked for the Nord Deutsche Line, which was a company that owned ships that were docked near Whitechapel on every date of the five canonical, quote unquote, murders. Um, So the men who worked for the ship, like most seamen, were known to frequent local brothels, which is also connected to the victims of the Ripper. And uh, the guy, Trevor Marriott, who was basically like kind of the initial people to think about this noticed mm-hmm. striking similarities between the Ripper's crimes and Carl Anton's other victims six years later in New York City and how they died, i.e. her throat was slit. So things get a little weirder with this because his theory actually stems from an original theory that was created 
by Carl Anton's lawyer, William Sanford Lawton, after Carl Anton was executed for his crimes in New York City. So Lawton claimed that his client had actually admitted to him that he was Jack the Ripper. Oh. So, right, which seems like a pretty big, oh, holy shit. But he also says that Carl Anton had, like, admitted to, like, hating women, had a strong desire to kill and mutilate them, and... You know, he supposedly claimed that Mrs. Hoffman was not his first victim and that he was responsible for all the Ripper murders. And so Lawton took his client's admission to the press where he basically concluded that Carl Anton was Jack the Ripper and he could be placed in Whitechapel at the time of the murders. He had confessed to the murder and was clearly the real, you know, Ripper. And while they were covered in the press at the time, like they didn't really gain any traction or like legitimate attention not at least the way that you thought it would have, especially right. because his accusations and supposed like claim that Carl Anton was Jack the Ripper was kind of called into question by the partner of his own firm, a guy named Hugh O. Pentecost, who claimed like, no, there's no proof that Carl and Carl slash Anton was actually in Whitechapel. Like he claimed there's no mm-hmm. like legitimate, you know, belief that he actually did do anything if he was in Whitechapel at all um eventually marriott the guy who kind of brought this theory back into light got a hold of the story ran with it and he went as far to say as that like you know feigenbaum was responsible for other murders that occurred in the united states and germany between 1891 and 1894 um and there's a lot of other ripperologists that kind of dispute marriott's claims and they're basically like dude there's no actual legitimate proof that he was in Whitechapel, like he said that he was. And it's more likely a case of like, this man was some type of fucking egotistical maniac. And he just wanted to be like, and by the way, everybody, I'm also Jack right. fucking Ripper right before he dies. Yeah. Right. So it's just more like an ego criminal thing as opposed to like legit. Um, there is one Ripperologist named Xanthi Mallet, who is a Scottish forensic anthropologist who has this interesting theory in that she doesn't think that it was the same person who killed all five of those women. And so she actually weirdly does support the idea saying that quote, Fagenbaum could have been responsible for one, some, or perhaps all of the murders. But again, there really wasn't too much information on like what she thinks, um, Mm -hmm. at least in relation to Carl slash Anton. So yeah, that's my first interesting guy. Yeah. That one's like, more believable than the jill one at least yeah. mine actually well two of my three i think are pretty believable yeah this next one i have is probably the most believable but i don't believe it and i also feel kind of bad for the guy so mine is a man named <laughs> walter sickert and he was actually known for being an english painter and he was he was pretty like well established at the time he founded something called the camden town group which was basically a club for post-impressionist artists um but he was pretty well regarded he was a big influence on the avant-garde art scenes in victorian london at the time so he had a good reputation as an artist but he was known to be eccentric um quotes about his work called him like mysterious and ghoulish um which a lot of people considered cutting edge some people thought he was just weird or gross but it was kind of like dark paintings that were newer at the time 
Hmm. Um, and he was actually fascinated with Jack the Ripper. And so he painted multiple things related to him. The most notorious was something called Jack the Ripper's bedroom. Hmm. And so he at one point was staying in like a boarding house and the landlady claimed that the Ripper had lived in the same bedroom once. Like this was just a thing she told everyone, right? Like Jack the Ripper stayed here. I don't know who she thinks Jack the Ripper was, but she was like, Jack the Ripper was here. This was kind of like early 1900s, right? So a little bit after the fact, but close enough that it was still probably like a status thing to say. Um, in right. 1907, a body Weird is flex, found. but okay. <laughs> right, exactly. And so in 1907, a, a body is found mutilated in the same area where Walter Sickert is staying. Um, it's like vaguely oh, similar shit. to Jack the Ripper, but not the exact MO. It's obviously like 20 years later. Um, but Sickert is mm-hmm. again fascinated with this. He paints about it, right? He like references it in his work. He's us, right? He's just like, well, that's fun. Um, Right. (laughs) But it's so cool. There was a potential Ripper victim right by my house. Yeah, yeah. exactly. (laughs) He, even though he has like a pretty good career uh, around 1920, his wife dies and then his mother dies a few years later. And he, at that point, basically has like a complete mental breakdown and becomes a recluse and is remembered as this kind of former, like, former glory boy right like he had all this potential and he died in obscurity like with a lot of mental issues is basically what people say about him and then yeah so that's already sad and then i feel bad and this is true in like all of mine where it's like years and years after these people die that they're like maybe they're the ripper Mm. so it's he dies in the 30s and in the 1970s his name starts to come up in connection with the Jack the Ripper murders. Mm-hmm. He's actually named as a potential accomplice in one of the theories you're going to talk about, about Prince Albert. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, I was like, I remember seeing this guy's name in one of my accounts. Yeah. So at first, someone just kind of throws his name out there as someone who might have been in the circle and could have known about it. And this gets picked up. So there's a woman who writes a book and says her mother knew Walter Sickert when he was alive. And confessed on her deathbed that he was the murderer, that he was Jack the Ripper and had told her that. And the mother confesses it on her deathbed. And she still insists this is true. Mm -hmm. Um, In 2002, they actually publish a book that goes through and like tries to spot clues in his paintings. Right. To say like, well, there's this in this picture and it's a hint or whatever. Um, And they do some analyzing of his psychology. Right. He was known to have had some sort of breakdown they didn't know much about it at the time so they try and do like a more modern analysis and use it to say he did it there's literally no evidence that isn't like these people writing a book trying to connect it um and that's why i feel kind of bad because he like was this well-known painter i can't fault him for being fascinated by this because i'm clearly also into it literally we're spending an hour and a half talking about it so (laughs) right exactly and then he like loses his wife and mom, dies in obscurity, and 50 years later, they're like, well, what if he killed all these women? <laughs> oh, um, yeah. That's so, yeah. So that's Walter Sickert. His name came up a ton, even though, like I said, there's basically no evidence. But his painting, Jack the Ripper's Bedroom, does still, like, hang today. That's kind of his... What does that look like? So... Jack the Ripper's Bedroom. Yeah, we'll use it as, like, a picture on the Instagram post or Yeah, something. absolutely. 
Um, but because it's a picture of this room where he was staying, but he he adds like I don't know like dark elements and I think like what would be evidence of the murders, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's eerie. Bas- yeah, basically, if he had stayed here, what would it look like? Oh, some dark shit type stuff. Yeah. Yep. Well, speaking of dark shit, uh, my next person, yeah, that I've actually kind of always believed was okay. that Jack the Ripper was H.H. Holmes. So okay. this is a really... I've heard this. I don't know that I believed it, but I heard it. This is a super popular theory. Actually, it kind of got a little bit more popular in the last couple of years because H.H. Holmes's great-great-grandson is the one that kind of brought this idea to light. And I feel like he wrote a book, yeah. which he did. And then there was also... I'm pretty sure I watched a Netflix like special on it. So basically, this is this theory that nobody really knows how many people H.H. Holmes actually killed, right? They don't really know how many victims he had. At the time of his arrest and death, he admitted to killing 27 people. That's kind of a low ball. Uh, It's believed that he's actually responsible for killing upwards of 200 people. But again, it's one of those like things that we'll never actually know. Mm-hmm. Um, and his quote unquote crowning achievement, which I don't know what the fuck kind of writing that is, but <laughs> his his the best thing he ever did, apparently, yep. was construct his murder hotel in Chicago. I mean, he which probably had, thought that was the best thing he ever did. Yeah, that's fine. So then we'll say in his deranged mind. That's <laughs> well, it's fine if Holmes thinks it's fucking cool, but like news reporters like and his crowning achievement, like, um, yeah, no. So in his murder hotel in Chicago, he built gas chambers, trap doors, a dissection room, a basement furnace to destroy any evidence that he'd collected. And so <laughs> there's this like weird theory that some ripperologists believe that Holmes wasn't actually executed in 1896 and it was like a body double. I don't really know okay. what that has to do with anything Jack the Ripper related. I was going to say, related. that's after the murders. Right. So that's why I thought it was weird, but I thought it was like a fun fact to add in. But yeah, weirdly enough, like I said, Holmes's great-great-grandson, Jeff Mudgett, believes that his great-great-grandfather was Jack the Ripper based off of a collection of diary entries that he'd found um, and that were passed down to him where Holmes supposedly outlines his involvement in the Whitechapel murders. Okay. So Mudgett wrote a book called Bloodstains uh, in which he describes the statistical evidence that Holmes and the Ripper were one and the same, specifically in a handwriting analysis. So in this analysis, two different samples were fed into like a computer program and it determined that there was a 97.95 chance that the samples were a match. Okay. He also argues in the book that Holmes had a similar MO to Jack the Ripper and after killing his victims, Holmes would dissect the corpses. Then he would actually sell the skeletons to medical schools, which I listened to a whole thing about H.H. Holmes, and he's actually incredibly fascinating and super disgusting. He but is, yes. He would literally, like, you know, take the bodies down to the skeleton and then sell them to medical schools um, for, like, practice skeletons and stuff. Okay. I mean, don't waste any parts. Yeah, yeah. So, uh so gross. So Jack the Ripper also <laughs> mutilated the internal organs of his victims, which is ultimately what caused people to kind of believe that the killer was surgically trained, which Holmes was surgically trained. He wasn't like a legitimate doctor, but he lied to people and said that he was. 
So okay. that's, again, another weird flex, but whatever. Then it gets even more interesting because the Chicago Sun-Times reported that Holmes had allegedly traveled to London in 1888, which was the same year of the murders. And what's mm-hmm. important about this is the fact that Holmes regularly left a constant paper trail of his financial transactions, legal problems, lawsuits, all this other shit that was going on when he was in the United States. Like, People who have tracked him have been able to, like, literally narrow down where he was, what he was doing pretty much every month of his life as a criminal. But the trail of paper falls silent from July 1888 until early 1889, which might not be a coincidence if he was out of the country. Right. And this is where it gets really fucking weird. Not long after Mary Kelly was murdered a ship's log reveals that somebody called H. Holmes left England for America, which is the last canonical murder. Yes. So that's my kind of like, I feel like he is, but, but my research went even crazier. It has nothing to do with this. Did you read ahead or did you see this? I, I saw a phrase. Okay. And then I stopped reading. Okay. So this is the most fun and bizarre fucking fact I have ever read. Okay. So so DNA tests indicate, I can't believe this, that Jeff Mudgett and Meghan Markle are eighth cousins. And so this theory that's fairly new and somewhat popular among crazy ripperologists is that Jack the Ripper was actually Queen Victoria's personal doctor. Okay. And Mudgett asserts that the current royal family is now officially a part of the Jack the Ripper legend and the story okay. more than they I'll already were, which I'll get into. Yeah, and the fact that somehow Meghan Markle's relationship with the royal family is indicative of this potential. Is eighth cousin even like a thing? <laughs> I don't like, know. I don't know. Is everyone eighth cousins? Maybe, but just like what a weird collection yeah of relations like that's crazy so like does that make her related to hh holmes or does that make her related to whoever jeff mudgett's other family members are yeah because it could be on his mom i don't know right or dad's side whoever is the non-murder side that's true that's true so yeah i just thought it was like the craziest fact i've ever read yeah that's wild Okay, now I have my most wild of the theories, which there's literally like no good evidence for this. It's very short because it just doesn't make sense. But it's also how we ended up doing this episode. This is exactly how we got here. (laughs) Yes. um, I literally wrote before I research anything. This is my favorite. Like I just decided early on. Um, So this theory (laughs) is that Lewis Carroll was Jack the Ripper. Um, If you're not familiar, Lewis Carroll was an author most known for writing Alice's Adventures in Wonderland um, and Through the Looking Glass. He wrote other books that mostly were like children-ish or poem books, a lot of like limericks and poems and that type of thing. Right. Um, So he's a famous author who's still famous today. He's generally considered to be like weird because if you've read Alice in Wonderland, like... It's a trippy as fuck book. Yeah. Um, and again, theories that he was the killer come way after his death. So they're like mostly started in a 1996 book by a man named Richard Wallace called Jack the Ripper Lighthearted Friend. Dude, the titles of these fucking books. I know. Are crazy. They're fucking crazy. 
Yeah. And so there are, like I said, he was always considered weird. There were a group of people that believed and insist that he was a, quote, sexual deviant. Which at first I was like, well, what's a sexual deviant? Because I feel like in the 1800s, a sexual deviant is just like you got spanked once. I don't know. But the other side is some people believed he was a pedophile. <laughs> which is You enjoy bad. sexual relations? Mm, sounds right. like you're a deviant. Right. But then we go to pedophile, which is bad. So one of those two. Um, and that comes from he had a really close relationship with a little girl who wasn't related to him named Alice. Um, who is believed to mm. be the inspiration, not the inspiration for Alice in Wonderland, but like he wrote the book for her, right? To kind of put yeah. her in the story. Um, but in addition to that, he would hang out with like her and her friends, right? Like he would have little girls over all the time, which on its own, okay, maybe he just liked kids. I don't know. But mm. he was by hobby a photographer. So he took a lot of pictures of <laughs> people in general. <laughs> Sorry, um, I'm just like thinking like there are so many red flags here. <laughs> like, yeah, oh no. Like <laughs> the one thing I was reading, it was like he definitely took pictures of all these little girls like semi-naked, but then it was like, in fairness, he also took pictures of adults semi-naked. And I was like, I don't think that makes it fair, actually. <laughs> I, I think I that think, is just clear. I that think that's different. He's a little out there, but like yeah. not in a good way. <laughs> Yeah. And so there's some stuff on his history, right? Like he was sent to boarding school at a young age and had mommy issues over it. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. But this guy, Wallace, who writes the book, reads into a lot of what's in the, these books about his life um, and assumes physical abuse by other boys that is never explicitly stated. He's just kind of reading into it. Right. Um, and his theory is that he was severely abused by the older boys at boarding school and it caused a mental break of some sort that kind of made him have lifelong psychological mm. issues. Um, right. So there's some belief that his poems reference murders, um, especially future murders, right? Like the poems are often written before the Whitechapel killings, but they think that they kind of indicate this is a plan that he has. Um, oh, okay. I Okay. I was... When you said future, I was thinking like, I don't know, 2022. Like No, like it's before these women <laughs> okay. were killed, but then it kind of said like, you know, I want to kill women type thing. Right. It's like the opposite of OJ Simpson's if I did it. Exactly. It's like if I do it. <laughs> right. When I Got do it. it. Right. When uh, I do it. And a lot of this, like the guy spends a lot of time basically anagramming Lewis Carroll's work. So taking random passages or poems and claiming that if you mix all the letters up, it makes like a much more sinister thing. Um, two problems with that. They tend to be longer paragraphs. So there's like a lot of letters to work with. Mm -hmm. Right. You could make a lot of words out of them. He also often just omits words. <laughs> That's or, so like, interesting. Entire lines. So it's like, dude, you can't pick and choose. Right. Like, like, yeah, there's only 26 letters in the alphabet. So ultimately you could take a book and mix them up and get something weird. So I have an example. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> um, I kind of want to be like, do you have any ideas of like what this sounds like? But okay. Yes. So in one of the books, in the one where he talks about having been at boarding school that this guy kind of uses as the basis of these theories. Mm -hmm. There's a, a passage, just like a casual little passage about a dog. So the passage is, quote, Hold so on. We went Does the dog die? No. Okay. Keep going. No. Just the dog checking. is fine. 
Um, in the next in the re- next reading of it, a whore dies. But don't worry, that's the word they use, not me. <laughs> um, but the dog is oh, no. fine. Honestly, though, um, I do care more about dogs dying uh, <laughs> in movies than people dying in movies. So. I know. Um, so the original passage is quote. So we went to the cook and we got her to make a saucer full of nice oatmeal porridge. And then we called Dash into the house and we said, now Dash, you're going to have your birthday treat. We expected Dash would jump for joy, but he didn't one bit, unquote. So it's just like a nice passage about kids trying to give a dog oatmeal for his birthday. And the dog's like, nah. And this is why he's Jack the Ripper? Well, Wallace then takes the letters in this. And mixes them up and says, this paragraph is a coded version of this. Oh, God. Quote, oh, we Thomas Bain, Charles Dodgson, coited into the slain nude body, expected to taste, to devour, enjoy a nice meal of a dead whore's uterus. We made do, found it awful, (sighs) wan and tough like a worn, dirty goat hog. We both threw it out. Jack the Ripper. So that doesn't make sense. Hold on. A, so um, basically what this fucking Chabroni <laughs> did is he yes. just took whatever letters he needed to create the words Jack the Ripper and then he just made some bogus, awful, gruesome shit about a puppy eating porridge. Correct. Some people Correct. have way too much fucking time on their hands. Exactly. Truly. Truly. Um, yes. Who, tries- I'm sorry. I'm raging. Who do you what <laughs> do you say to people when you start working on this? Would you just like Oh, so what I do for a living is I take Lewis Carroll's poems and then I rearrange all of the letters and lines and shit. And then I decide that it's going to make him sound like he is Jack the Ripper. Like, how do you introduce that to people? How do you what at a dinner party? What do you say? I'm so enraged. I don't even know (laughs) why. It just doesn't make any fucking sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. And I found other things talking about it where they were like. You can literally do this with anything. And so they start doing anything. it with like, like this one website did it with Winnie the Pooh just to be like, okay, I took a sentence about a teddy bear and now it's about how Christopher Robin's a psychopath because yes. I rearranged the letters. That's exactly like, it. And that's he like if you listen sometimes. to like whatever that fucking album is and at the same time as the Wizard of Oz, like, and like if you listen carefully, like whatever, like th- where do the people get this type of time on their hands yeah. to develop these fucking theories. I don't understand. Yeah. And his only other, like, quote, evidence. <laughs> one of these is my favorite. I'm so excited. But so the one is like. Oh, God. So people say, well, Lewis Carroll at the time of the murders was away at Oxford for school. Right. He didn't like, right. live in Whitechapel. And he's like, well, he could take public transportation. Okay, fine. I guess anyone could. Um, yeah, but also Lewis in the Ca- middle of the fucking night, they didn't just have public transportation like at right. two a.m. when you're going to pay your rent. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yep. I don't understand. Um, <laughs> his personal library did include a large number of books on like medicine and anatomy and stuff like that. I mean, this he was man a also took pictures of children naked, right. partially. And he like, was he's... a writer who wrote weird shit. So, right. like, this I don't man know. Is I have a shelf. I have a shelf full of books about birth. Like, people keep weird books. I have fairy porn. <laughs> that's all I have. So I guess I yeah. don't know who... I guess that's who I am. I exactly. mean, actually, I'm okay with that. But, like... But my my favorite <laughs> is that... So I remember I mentioned part of this theory about boarding school involves mommy issues. Right? That... Um, oh, shit. Yeah. And his mom was said... I, I think there was, like, a piece of writing where he described his mom. Lewis Carroll did at one point, And she had a large nose. 
And the two victims who had their faces mutilated had like their noses really mutilated. And so he says that that was like the element where he was like, it's somehow about his mom. And so he cut their noses and maybe they had big noses. (laughs) I don't know. It's my favorite. He has literally nothing to go on. He just was like, this sounds fun. What is this man's name? Wallace? Richard Wallace or Robert Wallace? Let me check. I need someone to check on him because I I don't know if he is. Richard Wallace. Richard Wallace. Is Richard Wallace well? well. No, he can't possibly be. (laughs) No, he's absolutely not well. Like, there's nothing, there's literally nothing like how he even got here. He just is like, I wonder if I could make this Jack the Ripper. It's like he he got really fucking high and was like, what's the craziest shit that I could come up with? A couple of Lewis Carroll's friends from Oxford, right? He says like they were involved. He has this entire like murder board theory, Um, but Mm. it's all stupid. Wow. That's fucking, so, that's actually one of the most absurd things I've ever heard. Right? Um, I mean, I love it, but it's crazy. Right. It's like, does Lewis Carroll come out seeming like a good person? No. Do I think he murdered five women in Whitechapel? Also, no. <laughs> like, right. Those two things are not like mutually exclusive or whatever. Like, they don't, right, like, just because I'm you're not a fucking weirdo was... doesn't mean that you also somehow killed. A bunch of yeah, women. like I'm not saying he was a saint, but uh, also Alice in Wonderland is like my favorite book of all time. <laughs> oh, so, everything's awkward for me here. Um, can't we just like agree that he was like on some LSD shit and that's it? Like, can we sure. just make that his craziest thing? For sure. Wow, Jack the Ripper. Oh my God, mine is not yep. as well. This next one is like took me places so okay i'm excited my for this one. i didn't read anything about it so yeah this i i have kind of always been intrigued by this one because it's kind of a two-fold theory which i love so it's not just a suspect it's like a legitimate conspiracy theory and i never yes. really go down this rabbit hole but i did and it was fucking awesome it. so jack the ripper killed princess diana <laughs> God. Okay, so it's not that good, but it's close. So so this theory cropped up. So this is like the royal theory. This is what I'm just going to call it, the royal theory. So this theory cropped up in the 1960s and 70s during a time in which the British counterculture movement was very much like growing against the government and the monarchy. There was a lot of mistrust in the government and monarchy. Uh, people weren't like too big of a fan of it and there was this like growing suspicion of the influence and power of secret organizations with links to police and local government that also connected back up to the monarchs okay the illuminati so it's be the illuminati basically so it's because of these growing feelings of distrust that ripperologists began to appear who linked the Jack the Ripper murders to incredibly powerful figures of the late Victorian era, specifically the members of the Royal family, including literally Queen Victoria, who was still alive at this point. So this is one of the most fruitful suspects, quote unquote, uh, which was Queen Victoria's grandson, Prince Albert Victor, Duke of Clarence and Avondale, who died at 28, which also made part of the reason why he's easy. Yeah. Um, Prince Albert will, Prince Albert is just a dick piercing. So I wanted to talk about that because okay. I have a fun story about this. Because <laughs> every time I hear it, I'm like, I know who Prince Albert is, but also 
That's just the name of a dick piercing. Yes. So my family and I were playing a game called Telestrations After Dark. Have you ever heard of this game? I have not, but I will be looking into it. Oh, no, you froze. Okay, okay. Okay, so it is basically telephone and Pictionary. And so basically you start with a word, you draw the word, and then you pass the booklet on to the next person and they have to guess the word based on what you've drawn. And then the next person has to get draw the word that the last person guessed. Does that make sense? It's a little more complex, but basically, to make a long story short, because it's after dark, you get a bunch of dirty shit, okay? And one of the things that came up Mm -hmm. was Prince Albert, was like that. And I didn't know what that was. Like, I just didn't really know anything about it. So everyone was making Mm -hmm. fun of me for not knowing anything. So I was, like, upset. So I was like, should I just draw a prince? Like, I don't really know, like who this person is or whatever so when i was researching this i knew it i figured it out i googled it i urban dictionary did or whatever yeah when we play cards against humanity we have a house yeah it's on it's exactly like that it's it's yeah we have a rule like if you don't know what the card is you can trade it in but you have to tell everybody you don't know what the card means right so my family and i are playing telestrations after dark and i have no idea what this is Or it was, I think I was with a group of friends and we were playing it and I didn't know. So I just like, you know, drew a prince and then everybody laughed at me. But then a couple months ago, my family was playing it and my, my little sister was playing with us and she's 16 and she ended up getting (laughs) stuck with this and she freaked out. She was like, I don't understand what this is. And all of us were like, honestly, it's okay. Like you really shouldn't know what this is. You're 16. So when I, when I was doing my research today, I was like sitting on the couch watching hoarders. And I was talking about like Prince Albert, Prince Albert. And Eric just lost his shit. He was like, Oh, you mean like, did you have to Google what Prince Albert is this time? Like your penis, your penis (laughs) piercing. And I was like, first of all, I don't have a penis or a piercing on my penis. Second of all, fair. I googled it and I wanted to know like the origin of it and basically the origin is that the original Prince Albert Queen Victoria's husband was rumored to have this piercing Bless. so yeah okay so this is the first theory that arises with Prince Albert so the first theory is that he was seized sorry quote seized by a syphilis induced psychosis quote which literally caused him to totally snap and murder the five victims okay which is like Pretty legit. Um, so this was started by a doctor named Thomas Stowell, who wrote an article which heavily implied that Albert was responsible due to his condition, and he compared the Ripper victim mutilations to the evisceration of deer shot by royals on property. So, like, he basically was like, the royals are really brutal, and, like, here's a clear indication of how they're brutal, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Then we have the second theory which is less about Albert being the murderer and more so aligned with this idea that what Albert did in his life is what caused the crimes to occur because the crimes were actually a cover-up. So in this theory, oh, sorry, Albert's nickname was Eddie. So I'm going to call him Eddie in this one because that's what this article referred to him as. So Eddie ran away to the East End after he falls in love with um, and marrying a common shop girl named Annie uh, Annie Crook. Cook? Crook? That says Crook. It says Crook, but I think it might be Cook. 
No, oh, I like shit. Crook better. We're going to go with Crook. So supposedly he fathered a child with her. And because this was a huge fucking deal and he was the second in line to the throne and it would pretty much destroy the monarchy, the royal family flipped out. So the couple was mm-hmm. forcibly split apart and the, quote, shadowy establishment figures, quote, masterminded the murders of the five female acquaintances that knew the truth of the situation. <laughs> so yes. all of the women who were murdered were actually friends oh of Annie's. Where is and this they were season killed. of the crown? I know. I fucking know. Well, we'd have to go backwards because this is Queen That's Victoria. Fine. I'm fine with that, cool. too. I would love that. Um, so this was popularized and brought to light in a 1976 book. This is hands down the worst I think I've ever read. <laughs> called read <laughs> called Jack. Th- <laughs> so fucked up. Oh, ja- no. oh my god. I don't want to say I'm gonna Jack the Ripper colon the final solution, which but is the most poorly worded fucking so title. There's so many issues with it. There's like, so many problems. Like you mean to tell me in 1976 you couldn't fucking think of something better than the final right. solution? Like, it was 1976. It was after that. It wasn't before that. Like the likelihood that this jabroni was alive during the fucking Holocaust is probably really strong. Well, and also, okay, so even if you take out that the final solution is what <laughs> they call the Holocaust, calling Jack the Ripper the final solution yes, is also right, bad. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like even without the Holocaust, I don't like the implication. It's just like. The final solution to what? Also, like right. if these so prostitutes, I don't know. So yeah, unclear. This man, I get what they're going for, but I don't like it. The author Stephen Knight was on some kind of fucking drug when he wrote this uh-huh. title because he was like, yeah, yeah, this is some good shit, but like it makes no fucking sense <laughs> and it's problematic. So I also kept reading Stephen Knight as Stephen King, so that was also very off-putting. So I was like, Stephen King, man, fuck you. And then I was like, oh no, nope, different, different Stephen, different book. Yep. So. In the book, Jack the Ripper, The Final Solution, uh, (laughs) the author begins by talking about how the prince fell in love with this girl, Annie, and the royal family was, like, totally furious. So they had the royal physician, Dr. William Gull, they had had him declare Annie as certifiably insane, and they committed her to an asylum, right? That's, like, how the story goes. Then, apparently, a group of her friends, Marianne Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, and Mary Jane Kelly, all decided to blackmail the royal family and threatened to go public with the story. What about Catherine? Uh, I guess Catherine was maybe in there, too. But the thing is that Catherine... Okay, yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. So Dr. Gull is then dispatched by the family to not just declare Annie certifiably insane, but to also kill all of those women in order to keep this identity like to keep this, this undercover like a great movie so yeah like, so then Catherine eddowes is an accident like mis- the doctor mistakes her identity and basically is like oh shit she shouldn't be killed but that's oh, my shit. bad wrong one and so basically the theory would have required some like major orchestration by people like yeah. queen victoria the British Prime Minister Lord Salisbury, the Metropolitan Police, and the Freemasons, who were really good friends of the Prime Minister, in order to like get them all involved to cover up the scandal and protect the monarchy at all costs. So I love this one. I thought that was really, really crazy. Like in a good, awesome way, where it was like, yeah. what if though? Like, what if? I 
love that one that's my favorite yeah and that's also why queen victoria was out here like uh it's the men on the cattle boats that's exactly like she kept coming up like no no no. it's i don't know anything to do with it i just feel like it's it's the the cow people the cow people yeah it's the cow people you should call them call (laughs) call the cow people (laughs) yeah and so that's the royal theory of jack the ripper love that one yeah, I thought that one was really, really good. So yes, and um, so that's Jack the Ripper, y'all. Yeah, <laughs> Another <again>. fun episode. <laughs> yes, like there are real theories, but this is more fun. Yeah, I mean, there's probably, I mean, the H. H. Holmes one, I think is is yeah pretty cool. But you know what kind of bums me out is we'll never know. I hope Same. that one day, like when oh, I just broke my lap, my fucking thing again. I hope that one day <laughs> when I when I die and I go to wherever I'm gonna go, that mm-hmm. the universe tells me the things I want to know. Like, yeah, that who was Jack the Ripper or well, who killed? What's that little girl? Is that little girl? John Bonet. John Bonet, which we know oh, it was the brother. That's, we know so it was the I brother, like but I want play- confirmation in that. Yeah, you know, I like to play the game of like. You can have five people living or dead at dinner. And I yes. always reserve a spot for someone who can answer like a true crime question. Yeah. Right. Like I th- often think I would have um, Maura Murray come. Who's that? Because of, she's the girl who went missing like 20 years ago in New England. Oh, um, yes. Like her car was found on the side of the road. And I have yep. genuinely no clue what happened. Yeah. Because sometimes I'm like, well, you know, John Bonet or like Heyman Lee from Serial. Um, mm-hmm. would be fun, but I feel like I know what happened there and I'd be disappointed yeah. if all they did was tell me what I knew. Right. Yes. And so, um, but like, yeah, can I get Jack the Ripper up in there? Right. I'd be like, dude, I can't believe it was you the whole time. Like, yeah. Good for you. You know, I don't want to say I, mean, I admire you, but I no. but like you sure got away with it. Yeah. I mean, people literally have no idea. Yeah. And then there's some people that are like, no, we do know. But like even the stuff I was reading, people were like, well, we really don't actually. And we're never actually going to know. Yeah. I mean, the most you can know is in the way that we're like, we know Burke did it. Right. Like. Yes, exactly. I'm very, very confident. Yeah. I wouldn't bet my life on it. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. But I, I might bet a sum of money that I could afford. Yeah, I would bet stuff on it. Just not my life. Mm-hmm. Like. I'm very confident right. in my answer, but I don't actually know. There's some piece that's like, I can never be a hundred percent sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's Jack the Ripper folks. We, we don't know yeah. who it is. Probably Prince Albert, not the penis piercing. Mm-hmm. Um, so thanks for this lighthearted fun episode. Y'all yeah, happy to, to bring that to you. Lord only knows what badass babe we're bringing you next week. I'm sure someone very lighthearted and great. <laughs> oh, God, maybe we need to find someone who is lighthearted and great. Right. But but we probably won't, so <laughs> Yeah. That's that's not really our thing. No, it's definitely not. All right. Thanks for listening, nerds. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to What the History. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WTHistoryPod. If you'd like to email us, you can do that at WTHistoryPodcast at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear feedback or episode ideas or anything else you have to say. 
You can support us on Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash wthistorypodcast and get exclusive access to even more nerdy stuff. Don't forget to tune in every Thursday when new episodes are released, and we will see you next time.